Isaiah chapter 5, let's pray. Father in heaven, you are an amazing God. More amazing than we can know. We think we know you. We just see, we, we catch a glimpse, a fraction of your glory. Thank you for Jesus that we can. We would all be agnostic. But Lord, you have revealed yourself. You have shown your glory. And we are thankful to be recipients this morning. We need you like we need air, like we need water. We need you. You are the wind in our sails. Jesus, be with us this morning. May your words speak fresh, new life in us this morning. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things. And everybody said, amen. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1. Let me sing for my beloved. Now here's the... Here's the context. It's harvest time. The harvest festival is happening among God's people. And harvest time, it's a good time. The first fruits coming in from the fields. And they taste and they see that it's good. Here's what that means. As the first fruits begin to ripen and as the first fruits are harvested and picked from the vines... God's people know that this year is going to be a good year. That's what harvest means. God's people are going to be able to eat all year from the fruit of the vine, from the fat of the land. It's going to be a good year. Harvest proves that life will be sustained. So what do God's people do? Every year they throw a party. And I just, I've told you this before, but let's just, let's just re remember, I don't know how religious people in the 2000s got so stuffy. God's people have always known how to throw a party. They have got tambourines and harps and lyres. I mean, they are, not lyres as in someone not telling the truth, it's an instrument, they, I mean, music is playing, God's people are dancing. Harvest time is a good time. It's a worshipful time as God's people enjoy the bounty that God has given. He gives us breath to work the fields. He, he created the fields to, to bring life. God's people enjoy the life that God brings, the bounty that God brings. So, in walks Isaiah. Now, you guys like me. <laughs> but believe it or not, the man of God wasn't the most awesome person throughout history. When God's people see Isaiah coming, the man of God, the man who speaks for God, the man who says, thus saith the Lord, who brings the revealed word of God to the people. I mean, you know, Jeremiah, it's, it's the same with all the prophets. When the prophet steps into the community, everybody's like, ah, oh. see, you see me walking up on the stage, you're like, yay, Brent's here. <laughs> <laughs> That's in my dreams. Yeah. 
when Isaiah walks into the crowd, they're, oh, here we go. We're fixing to get it, right? The prophet almost never has a good word for the people. It's usually, you sinners, stop sinning. It's usually what the, the man of God brings to the table. So you can see Isaiah coming into this harvest festival, this party. And how many of you were at prom? You went to prom? You remember when the, the king of prom or the queen of prom comes in, the crowd kind of splits as they, as they walk down. You can see kind of that, this, everybody's partying and dancing and laughing and they're singing their songs. And Isaiah starts walking into the crowd and the crowd just begins to split like Jesus parting the Red Sea. You know, the, the crowd splits and Isaiah walks to the center of the party and he says, this is the Brent Stevens version, I hear your songs. You guys are having a good time. But I've got a little song that I'd like to sing for you. Can I sing you a song about my beloved? Here's where Isaiah chapter 5 begins. Let me sing for my beloved. My love song concerning his vineyard. Isaiah's got a love song for God and the work that God is doing in the world. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. God's work in this world that he created, he chose the best place to plant his people. Right? There's farmers down the road. They don't have the good dirt. God chose the very best dirt to plant his work according to Isaiah. My beloved God, the Father, He's got a vineyard. He's doing a work. He's a farmer. And he chose the best place on planet Earth to do his work. Verse 2, he dug it and he cleared it of stones. What's a good farmer do? Stones in the ground prevent growth. They stop growth. So what does a good farmer do? A good farmer gets into the earth. He tills up, works the ground, gets oxygen down into that earth. And when there are stones, he takes the stones out that would prevent the good growth of this good soil, of this good work that he is doing. He dug it and he cleared it of stones. And he planted it with the choice vines. God doesn't do anything bad. What does the Bible say on the sixth day of creation? Everything that God, God looked at it all that he created and it was very good. Everything God does is good. The best hill, choice vines. How many of you have ever been to, you know, there's some wineries around here. In Ackworth, Georgia, isn't that hilarious? Yeah. What kind of, uh, the Redneck Valley, I guess, is what we call. <laughs> right? And I've been to these winers, I've walked through it, and the, the vine, they're just little, little bitty vines. Right? Vineyards pay big money for old choice. Vines. Have you ever been to uh, California, Napa Valley? You, you walk through those wineries. Those, I mean, those vines are like tree trunks. 
They're 60 years old, 80 years old, 100 years old. Vines that have proven over and over and over again to bear the good fruit. God takes choice vines and he plants in this fertile soil that has been, uh, the stones have been removed from. We know these vines here in context. Now, the vine is none other than Jesus Christ. We're going to see that when we get to John chapter 15. But, but here in the context, these choice vines is the nation of Israel, God's own people called by his name. That's who these choice vines refer to. If we would read more of this as we get down into uh, verses 5 and 6, you'd see that's talking about Israel planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. Not only does God choose the best place, the best soil, no stones, choice vines, he builds a watchtower in the midst of his vineyard. Uh, you get to, into Ezekiel, you read about the watchman on the wall. He puts a watchman and a watchtower. Why? To make sure, right, everybody knows in, in, this, in Palestine, in this area, in the, in the first century, the fox are everywhere. The, the beasts that would come and steal and destroy are everywhere. So a watchtower is built so that God can see, he can look out over his entire vineyard to make sure that it is constantly protected. God's a good God. He's a good farmer. Vine dresser, as we'll see. As you find a stone, a piece of rock, a piece of mountain even, and you begin to take other stones and you begin to hew out. You begin to carve in a huge bowl within the rock. And in the middle of this bowl that you're making, you, you dig even a deeper hole for a, a post, a tree trunk to go in that a millstone is attached to. And when the fruit from the fields reap, you bring the fruit and you lay it in the bowl and the millstone turns around the circle, pressing the fruit so with its juices flow. See, God planted a vineyard and he expected fruitfulness. Listen to me, because there is a, and maybe you come from that small little town in South Georgia somewhere where they don't talk about fruitfulness, they only talk about faithfulness. I haven't read anything from Tim Keller in a while, but 10 years ago, he was kind of the man on the scene. He wrote in Center Church, great book that he wrote on church planting. He's got an entire section in the beginning of that book on fruitfulness and faithfulness because they both go together. It's not one or the other. It's both and God expects fruit from his vineyard. It's why he built a wine vat. He expects the vines that he plants to produce 
something, something that is good. And I don't know, just in case you don't know anything about heaven, I grew up thinking heaven is a drag. I was taught as a child growing up in church that heaven is a big church service. And I just remember as a kid thinking, man, that sucks. (laughs) Who wants to do that? Just one big long jack. You know, I always had my little bag with my crayons and my stuff, and I would lay down and I'd fall asleep in the, in the old wood church pews. For all of you who remember that, woohoo! You look around here, man, we're just nice, soft chairs. We're blessed. Coffee. God's, God is good. Heaven's not just some big church service. It's a party. It's the best party you'll ever attend. The wine, the Bible says the wine flows like a river. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The choicest meats. Just so you know, kangaroo burgers, ostrich burgers, choice meats or at the table of our Father. Yeah, I think the Vikings got it more right than a lot of Christians the last 2,000 years. Heaven's like Valhalla. (laughs) Just a big party with God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all the heroes of the faith that we read about who were not only faithful, but they were fruitful in their lives for the Lord Jesus. It's not one or the other. It's both and. God expects fruitfulness from his people. And he looked. We're still in verse 2. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes, toxic grapes, poisonous Grapes, grapes that were the fruit it yielded was good for nothing. In fact, uh, somebody in here probably has a Bible that says it yielded stink berries. The Bible's awesome. Oh, now, verse 3. Now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah... Judge between me and my vineyard. Man, when God speaks, we should listen. And God now, through the prophet Isaiah, speaks to his people and he says, You be the judge. You be the judge. Verse 4, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done In it, God asks a question. And it's not because God doesn't know the answer. It's for our good that God asks this question. Can you see the Father from heaven with his hands outstretched toward us going, what else do I have to do? What more can I do? I cleared the stones. I chose the best place. 
I built the watchtower. The foxes aren't getting in. When I looked for fruitfulness, why did I only find stink berries? What else can I do? Just so you know, questions are important in the Bible. Did you know Jesus in the New Testament speaks more in questions than he makes statements? Just in case you have a blog or something, you're the expert that has all the answers. Jesus teaches us how to live. Jesus teaches us that asking questions is a better sign of spiritual intellectualism than making statements. Questions are important. God asks a question here. What more do I have to do when I looked for my vineyard to yield fruit, grapes? Why did it yield stink berries? Turn with me to John chapter 15. It's a pretty nice context, right? It's quiet in here. God is doing a work, and his work will bear fruit. We have Isaiah chapter 5. We have the entire Old Testament to see how mankind does within the vineyard that God has created. What do men, what do women always do? They fail. That's why we need to see Jesus in Isaiah chapter 5. See Jesus coming to do what man could not do, has not done, will not do. Jesus is the perfection, God in flesh, living the perfect life that we have not lived so that he could die in our place for our sins. That is the gospel that we hold to. It's our only hope. Last week, the sixth I am statement of Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. Here in John chapter 15, we see the final, last statement of Christ Invoking the holy, sacred name of Yahweh as Jesus applies it to himself because he is in fact God in flesh. John 15, verse 1, where all other men have failed, choice vines have produced no fruit, which is why God now plants his choicest vine amongst his people to do what they could not. Jesus said, I am, ego eimi, Greek version of the tetragrammaton, the very sacred holy name of God, Yahweh from Exodus chapter 3. I am that I am. Who, who should I say sends me, Moses says. I am that I am. Jesus now invoking the name of God. I am. Why is the Holy Spirit inspired John to write this fourth and final gospel? To show us that this is not Jesus is an inch taller than we are. This is Jesus, God in flesh. He is God. 
He's not the half-brother of Satan. He's not a, a lower form. He is eternal God. All things created through him and for him. Colossians says he holds all things together. If Jesus were to disappear the right hand of the Father this moment, all of what we know as reality would just melt away. It is Christ, it is God who holds it all together. Us right now being loved by him as his people right now. Christ holds it all together. That's why we're here. Jesus says, I am the true vine. All fruitfulness that exists on planet earth, fruitfulness that brings glory to God through the glory he reveals in the Son, through the glory the Holy Spirit reveals to us his people in Christ to the Father. Don't forget chapter 15 is right in between 14 and 16. Two huge chapters concerning the work of the Holy Spirit, God, in the third person in our lives. You're the only service last week that got that slide, by the way. It didn't happen in the second or third service. You lucky 8 a.m. That's why you come to 8, right? I want the real deal. I am, Jesus is the true vine. And my father is the vine. Just like Isaiah said all those years ago, God's doing a work. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. Just We're not going to get there today, but just in case there's still an Arminian or two left at four points. <laughs> Look at verse 16. I mean, it's not more clear. You didn't choose me. I chose you. God's doing a work, and his work cannot and will not be thwarted. No one can stand before him and destroy the work that he is doing. That's why Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago, we've had so much history that has happened since then, but Jesus knew on the cross it is finished. The work is completed. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. There are branches that are fruitless. They're connected to the vine. There is association with the vine. Just like today, there are people who call themselves Christians. But what does the brother of Jesus, James, tell us in the book the Holy Spirit inspired him to write in the New Testament? A tree that doesn't bear fruit. It's not a good tree. How do you know if a tree is good? It bears fruit. Jesus is the vine. He is. You know, Psalm chapter 1 is about Jesus. 
He is the tree planted by streams of living water. It's his leaf that never withers. It's his fruitfulness that never ends. But there are some branches that bear no fruit. Again, we're not going to get there. Actually, let me just, let me read verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. What do you use a branch that doesn't bear fruit for? Nothing. It's good for nothing but to be thrown into the fire. God's plan does not include branches that are fruitless. Those are torn away. Let's look at another type of branch. Verse 2 still. And every branch that does bear fruit. There's two kinds of branches. Those that bear fruit and those that don't. Now look what God does to the branch that does bear fruit. You'd think, praise God, bearing fruit. He's just going to leave me alone and it's going to be great. I don't know why I use a Mickey Mouse voice sometimes when I preach. <laughs> poor, poor Disney, they're having a rough time in Florida, aren't they? Every branch that does not bear fruit, that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. People come to me all the time. Brian, I just don't understand why God's always messing with me. There it goes again, the Mickey Mouse voice. It's because he loves you. Brent, why is my life so hard? Because God loves you. And praise God, we are able to come to him as we are. Failed, flawed sinners. And he accepts us in Christ Jesus as we are. Amen? Come ye sinner, poor and needy, that's who we are, weak and wounded. Oh man, I could sing that song. Not good, but I can sing it. He accepts us as we are, but he never leaves us as we are. Right? Romans chapter 7 is a reality. People always ask me about spiritual, what, what is spiritual warfare? No, you're not going to see demons coming through your walls. I hope not. But every true Christian in this room knows spiritual warfare. Before I loved Jesus, before he saved me, I didn't, there was no warfare at all in my soul. I was a... I was a man doing what I wanted to do, never thinking twice about anything I wanted to do. And then Jesus came in and regenerated my, gave me a new heart with new desires, desires to, to follow him. And all of a sudden, guess what happened? I start second guessing every thought that comes into my head. It's called spiritual warfare. It's what happens to God's people because God will not leave us alone or leave us unto ourselves. His spirit now dwells, resides in us, calling us after him to follow him, to bear fruit, to be his disciples. 
Which is why every pagan, lost, sinful thought that enters our mind, there's a struggle suddenly with. God doesn't leave us as we are. He's constantly. You know, I heard a story one time about eagles. When a a mother eagle births her young, they're in the nest. And of course, the mother eagle, like all animals, they go and while the the animal's a baby, the mother has to go and find food and bring it to the young so that the, the young can thrive and survive. But as that baby eagle begins to grow, it will get up and it will walk around the nest and it will, it will stand on the edge of the nest. I mean, our eagles are born to fly, amen? They're not born to stay in the nest. They're born to fly. So they'll get out and they'll, they'll look and, they'll, and they'll, they'll sit on the edge of the nest. And when the baby eagle does that, every time the baby eagle does that, the mother eagle will go to where the baby eagle lays and, and will mess the nest up. Make, so when the baby eagle comes back to return to the spot in which it lays, it, it never feels as comfortable as it once did. This is how the mother eagle trains the baby eagle to actually jump out of the nest and learn to fly by making it uncomfortable. This is what God does. You, don't wanna, you wanna know why life is hard? You wanna know why hardships and suffering exists in the Christian life? Because it is how God grows us. It is how God pushes us out of our nest, out of our comfort zones that we may be fruitful branches attached to the vine that is Christ himself. This is who we are called to be. He's the vine. The Father is doing his work through the vine. God in flesh, Christ Jesus himself. Branches that don't bear fruit. They're not real branches. They're not Christian. There's a lot of people say they're Christians. They've got the the, the fish on their business card. But when there's no fruit, the branch is cut off and thrown away. You guys know that there was a benefit of being a Christian in our country of the past hundred years, right? Do you know we have created just a, a wonderful little bubble for ourselves in this world? You can be born into a Christian family today. You can go to a Christian school. We've got awesome Christian schools. I mean, we've got several. Dominion, North Cobb Christian, Mount Pan. There are several. Uh, Cornerstone Prep. There are several Christian schools that we can send our children to. Children can grow up in Christian school, Christian church. Did you know you can even work at a Christian Christian business. We've got Chick-fil-A. My daughter's a team leader at Chick-fil-A in the mall. Why does she work all the way at the mall? Because she doesn't have to clean bathrooms. All right, the mall does that. Doesn't have to clean tables. It's kind of a, a dream job. We, we have created a Christian bubble 
where we don't, there are young people in our world today who have never associated or had a conversation with a person who is not a Christian. It's hard to bear fruit in safety. Here's why I love the times in which we live. This world is crazy. Our world is on fire. And praise God. Because it is times like these where the church of Jesus Christ thrives. I mean, think about it. You talk about ancient Rome, this world empire. One of the only four world empires that have ever existed. All the known world conquered by Rome. Twelve guys following their Lord, a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? That's what the religious people said. Twelve guys in a world that did nothing but persecute. I mean, Christians were nightlights for Nero. He burned them alive to light his garden at night when he would walk through it. It is that world where Christianity thrives and God's people bear fruit to where in a couple hundred years, the entire empire of Rome is Christianized. That's who your God is. That's who the vine dresser is. He's doing a work. And it seems like everything's falling apart, but it is in the falling apart that God stirs his people and nourishes his people to bear fruit in the world. This is exciting times, four points. This is not woe is me time. This is praise God by his grace. He's given me strength. Strength and a voice, and I will use it for his name, for his glory. I will bear fruit for the king of all kings. There are earthly kings, and they come and they go. But there is a king above all kings. There is a Lord above all lords. His name is, he is the vine in whom we are attached. Verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Memorize that one. Why does no one have that on a coffee cup? That's a promise. In Christ Jesus, you have been made clean. He died in your place. Well, Brent, I'm, st I'm still not perfect. You're never going to be perfect. But it was Jesus Christ who was perfect. And it is in Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. You have been made clean, past tense. It's done. It is finished. Praise the name of the Lord. Verse 4, abide. And here's where we're going to... I'm going to get down through, I want to read through verse 5, but verse 4 begins with this word abide. You're going to see this word 10 times as you move through verse 10. In just six verses, 10 times this word shows up. It's important. Abide in me 
and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For those of you who have been here a while, some may be visiting. Maybe this is your first time. But for those who have been here a while, there's a reason why this place feels like home. There's a reason when you walk into the halls of this silly little building. You know, this building is not that great of a building. It's basically a farmhouse that we put some lipstick on. (laughs) You've heard the saying, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it doesn't do any good. Well, welcome to our building. There's a reason. It's not because of the aesthetics. We don't have marble countertops in the bathrooms. There's a reason it feels like home. Why? Because everything we do is focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. What does it mean to abide? Abide in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me. Remain in me. You will bear fruit. Some of you are so worried about the fruitfulness. I'm not doing enough. I'm, uh, you know, I, I serve on Sundays, but, but you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing enough, Brent. Listen, fruitfulness doesn't come from our ability to do or our desire even to do. Our fruitfulness comes from our being connected to the source. The source. Who is the source? Christ himself to be nourished as a branch from the vine itself. Himself. Your job, Christian man. Your job, Christian woman. I talk to dads all the time, Brent, you know, we do devotions with our kids and it's just so hard and, and I don't feel like they're getting it. Listen, you're not in charge of, of what happens in the future. What your goal, what your responsibility is, is to stay connected to the vine. It is Christ himself that brings fruitfulness. Well, Brent, I should probably be in full-time ministry to be really fruitful. No, 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 no. Back in 1975, a guy named Bill Bright, you've probably heard of him. If you hadn't heard of him, you've probably heard of Francis Schaeffer. Anybody? He's a dude that in the 80s was still wearing knickers, like old-school George Washington. Weird-looking dude, but dude loved Jesus. They developed the seven spheres of society. Look at this slide. See, God has a plan. And he has called you in Christ Jesus to be fruitful. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a minister. You don't have to start a nonprofit. Right, God has, just like he called me to Ackworth. You know, as a little boy, I didn't dream about living in Ackworth. 
This place is not awesome, although it is a good place to live by God's grace. God called, I didn't know a soul here, I'm not from here. God, he drove Sarah and I through this area and we knew this is where we were supposed to plant a church. God placed us here and just like God placed me here, he placed you here. Well, Brent, I'm retired by God's grace. He's placed you here. During your retirement, he's placed you here, wherever you are. Brent, I got young kids. I don't have a lot of time. He's placed you here, wherever you are, right now, to bear, for not just to be faithful, but to be fruitful. Faithfulness leads to fruitfulness always, every time, because God is great, and he's got a plan, and you in Christ are part of that plan. Seven spheres, where do you find yourself? These are all the the areas of influence within society. Every person in this room is in one of these circles right now. So many teachers, coaches, businessmen, businesswomen, arts, entertainment, media, right? Where are you right now? Because whatever circle you find yourself in, you are commanded. Not only commanded, but gifted for fruitfulness within the sphere of influence that God has. It's, I mean, it's time. You guys heard my sermon last week. I'm kind of done. I'm kind of over it. It is time for God's people to remember, right? Mufasa, you are my son. Remember who you are. Gotta love James Earl Jones, man. I mean, if you can be the voice of Darth Vader, you're kind of awesome. It's time for God's people to be the fruitful branches that we are called to be. It just just seems so impossible. Tell that to Peter, James, and John. Tell that to 12 guys who turned the world upside down. Jesus told them, greater works than I have done will you do. Why? Because there's more of them. And there's more of us. I believe here at Four Points, we've got a couple hundred people that are the real deal after Christ, regenerated hearts, Bible, 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 whatever God says is what I believe. There's a couple hundred. What could God do? What fruitfulness could God bring in our area, in our spheres of influence? If we would just, apart from Christ, nothing good's going to happen. But in Christ Jesus, All things are possible. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm ready. Jesus told his disciples, look out at the fields. Don't say in a month. Don't say in two months. They're white. They're ready for harvest right now. This is the day and the age in which we live. The fields are ready. If God's faithful people will abide in Christ we will not only be faithful but we will also be fruitful let's pray
Oh, Lord Jesus, your word is power. Father, we're just mortal men and women. We, we are failures in and of ourselves. But Lord God, because your Holy Spirit is present in us, you empower flawed and failed men and women to be branches that are pruned and bear much fruit. May this be the case with us here at Four Points Church. May we be your people who bear fruit in your name. In Jesus' name, every Christian said, Amen. Amen.